So we are looking at chapter 15 uh, this morning, and, and it's going to strongly connect us to the Exodus narrative. And if you have studied your Bible over the years or even grew up in church, you've heard about the Exodus. It is the kind of uh, throughout the New Testament, it is what is picked up most often to describe uh, our salvation. And so uh, it is one of those things where you could say, and, and this is something you just need to know and I need to know as we read the Bible, that there are small narratives that are throughout the, their stories throughout the Bible that are pointing to a greater story. And they sometimes give us a glimpse into those in a way that is so powerful and profound. And we are able to remember them and think about them. And then they bring us to this place where we see what God is finally and fully doing uh, through his son. Uh, What we've seen and what you even see in the Exodus is that God's plan was to save a people for himself. And he is going to do so by uh, this salvation you're going to see really by substitution and deliverance. And he is going to do that in a very powerful way. If you remember, God's people were in Egypt uh, and they were experiencing great trouble there. Uh, they started out there in a kind of a state of blessing. And yet as God blessed them, the, the, the Egyptians began to hate them and ultimately thought that they're going to take over us. And so what they did was they enslaved the people of Israel and they spent 400 years there in slavery. And then they began to cry out to God for deliverance and God delivered them by way of, of Passover lamb. And by way of conquest where he powerfully destroys their enemies. And he also uses, you'll see, a series of plagues uh, throughout this great exodus thing. And all of it is to declare that God is king. He reigns over all. And we uh, really see his powerful kingdom and his power on display in a way like no other uh, in the exodus. Now. One of the things that if you've read your Bible uh, very much, you may have heard people talk about it, but maybe you've never heard anyone talk about this. But one of the things that you see as the gospel comes and and really the gospels are on display before us, Jesus comes to earth. You see very many signs of almost like him ushering in a new exodus, a new time of deliverance, a new salvation, a much greater one than what was before. In the Gospel of Matthew, really, it starts with this idea where Jesus, out of Egypt, I called my son. Uh, Really, the idea there is Jesus is coming out of Egypt. It's a picture of the exodus, and it's saying that he is kind of really leading a new exodus. If you continue forward in that book of Matthew, you'll also see that Jesus passes through these baptismal waters. And as he goes through those waters, he comes out. And the next thing is he enters into the wilderness. And so, again, in this Exodus imagery, he passes through the waters of judgment. He comes back out on the other side. He enters into the wilderness. And as you continue forward, he is faithful in the wilderness, not grumbling like Israel of old did. But he is found faithful as the faithful son. And God says of him, really, in that baptism time, he says, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Again, another image driving you back to think about the Exodus where God spoke of Israel as his son. We also see Jesus replying to Satan in those times of testing in the wilderness. He replies to him by using uh, uh, quoting from Deuteronomy, the time of the Exodus in that period where he is 
quoting of God and what he had said to his people and his trust and faith in God. So a lot of things are going on here that I think is just important for us to say. This is pointing back to the Exodus of old, but it's speaking of this new Exodus. This, when we say Exodus, we're saying this new picture of God rescuing his people and saving his people. Um, the other thing just to kind of see about that, I think, is, is what you'll see in the scripture is even the, the, the church will be spoken of as this new Israel. These people who are on this, this really God has delivered them and he is leading them and guiding them as his new people. And he calls them things like a kingdom of priests in Revelation 1. What is that? It's the same language that he called Israel back in that day. And so all of that is to remind us that God is bringing about a new day of salvation and it's a salvation that transcends anything that we've ever seen before. And so I just kind of lay that out for you because I think it's very important as you work through it. Now, one other thing just to say about that is that in the Revelation, we'll see that like... uh, Israel will be it will speak of of this new people of God, these people of God being protected by God. And it will speak of like God judging their enemies in chapters eight and nine. We've seen plagues in this chapter. We'll see plagues. And so the enemies of God are kind of on display. And you're saying like all this stuff looks like it's happened before. And now it's coming to this final end and you're seeing it happen in a greater way. One last thing I'll say about that is uh, we looked at the red dragon in the Revelation just recently. And as we looked at the red dragon, we said, well, hold on just a second. We've seen this kind of figure before. The Leviathan is what it's called. Like, and it speaks of this kind of dragon coming out of the beast, which ties us to Pharaoh and Egypt and all of those things. And so, again, all of that imagery is trying to get your mind to think about what is taking place here? And that's what a lot of times you'll see the New Testament writers do. They will not necessarily... People read the Revelation, and I mention this a lot. They always want to look to forward, not backwards. But what John does is like hundreds of times he looks back to the Old Testament and allows us to kind of take what happened there and helps us see what is happening in the present and what will happen in the future. And so I think that's what he's doing with us today. Now, a couple of more things about this chapter. Um, just it, it, You just kind of want to remember this. We found out about the red dragon, and then we learned about the people of God as the woman who was uh, in, really like saved kind of by going into the wilderness like Israel did. Uh, she passed through really the ideas of the waters. It's like the, this enemy has tried to like, like flood her out and then God uses really the, the land. He opens it up and just like he did with the Red Sea. All of that imagery is kind of still in our minds. And in chapter 15, you're going to see uh, the plagues mentioned. You'll see kind of a sea that appears to be like a Red Sea. You'll see people holding musical instruments that reminds you of Exodus 15, where the people of God, after God delivered them, are holding these instruments, these harps, uh, as, as a way of, of worshiping and praising God. Um, we'll see them singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, all that stuff going on in this chapter. We're going to be reminded of the giving of the law in this chapter. Uh, we'll see the 
really the tent of testimony and the smoke that kind of gathered around during that time. And so all of this is on display. It's, it's helping us see what is taking place uh, right now and what will take place at the very end. And so I think all of that's helping us see the big picture. So that's a lot. You might say, okay, Jared, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, this, I, mean I know the story of the Exodus. I can see what you're saying. There's these connections. So what, what's the big deal? Like, what, what does that matter? Um, I want you to think about Israel just for a moment living in bondage in Egypt. They were under a horrible taskmaster who beat them and who like put heavier loads on them and who went after them in ways that year after year they're just living in bondage in chains without any hope, no light, no hope for deliverance in in their minds. You would think they're just there as imprisoned in a place and they are working endlessly for someone who never lets up. And you see them in that state and you see them crying out. And they're crying out for deliverance. And really, you'll see them doing so after a lot of things take place. But one of the things that takes place is not only are they in this bondage, but the people are looking at them and saying, like, they continue to grow in this slavery. We've got to do something. And they say, let's kill all the male children. And if we can wipe all of them out, then we will kind of like do away with their race altogether. And so they're under this horrific thing of just being attacked and beaten down and struggling. And then they're seeing that every time they have a male child in their family, they're seeking to destroy them. They are trying to wipe them off the face of the earth and they're crying out to God, please, God, deliver us from this great bondage. Then I think you need to stop and you need to say, if you are rightly understanding the world and the age that you live in, you understand that we are slaves to sin, that it is more pervasive than we could ever imagine. There is a bondage that is all around us. We're watching people in enslavement all the time. You see in your own life the struggle with sin. And when you're seeing that and you're seeing the darkness and you're seeing really the slavery and you're seeing the destruction all around, when you stop and consider that and you say, but there, there, there's a God who could deliver There's a God who promises to deliver that he's going to deliver by by virtue of like by, by giving his own son so that he might bring about this new exodus and rescue us fully and finally from this present evil age. Then this text, I think, becomes much more powerful because it's helping you stop and consider the glory of what God is doing in judging the wicked of the earth who are seeking to bring about the destruction of his people. And I think this is on display. I think we'll see that and I hope that hopefully you can kind of understand that better as we work through it. Now, there's three questions that may come from this that might be helpful for you to look at it in these ways. First is, what is the means of the final exodus? Second is, who is at the source of the final? Uh, who is the source of the final exodus? And third, what is the response to the final exodus? So we'll look at those three questions as we move through this and hopefully pull it all together. So let's start in chapter fifteen, verse one. We see here 
that we're going to see seven plagues. This kind of means that God will use, will really, uh, which is the means by which he will use like these things to punish the people, the wicked of the earth, those who reject the Lord. He's going to send a series of seven plagues. It's not the first time we've seen that. We've seen that many different times, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven thunders. And now we're about to see the seven bowls. And this is kind of the introduction to that. So verse one, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last for with them, the wrath of God is finished. So he sees this great sign. We saw that before. We saw a great sign in chapter 12, verse 1. And in 12, 3, we saw first a sign of God's uh, people. Second, this great red dragon, Satan, that he was seeking to destroy them. And then we see this great sign, which is a picture of the Exodus, them being rescued from that. That attack and that kind of thing that's going on. So as we move through here, I want you to see it. You know, when we think about what is meant by the last, some people say, well, this is like chronological. They'd read the revelation that way. I don't necessarily read it that way. I think it's the last in the series of, of visions that John receives. What I've told you before is those series of judgments we've seen in the Revelation we've been moving through. I think those series of judgments really are a repeating of the same thing. And each time with a different emphasis and with each different emphasis, it's giving you a fuller picture of what is taking place with the judgment of God. It's almost like he's recycling this material over and over to kind of heighten your awareness of the judgment of God. Um, notice in 16.2, if you just kind of flip there real quick, these plagues are poured out on those who identify with the beast. Really, the beast we know is the agent of the dragon, Satan, and he has come to destroy the church. And so those who are about the destruction of the people of God, they are the ones coming under this judgment. Uh, another thing just to see here is um, uh, when, when John is saying, I, I think, again, it's not the last in the sense of like, chronologically but i think it's it's really it's it's really this last witness that's coming before us god is going to judge the earth one guy described it this way if you were like painting a landscape and you had it separated in different quadrants and the first series of seals it says a quarter of the earth was destroyed and so each one of those maybe is a different color he paints a, a little bit of it, the picture and then he comes through and then you see a third and a little more of the pictures painted. And then there's kind of this one that you would think would be a half, these thunders, and, and, and it stops. And then we see this final picture, and the whole picture's painted, and you see God's masterpiece of judgment upon the earth. And how is God, why is God judging the earth? He is doing so to deliver his people. And I think that's a way in which it might help you understand what is taking place. Now, if you're here today and you say, I may be or may not be a Christian, I, I, you know, I believe in God, but I, you know, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I really believe the things of God's judgment and sin. And, you know, I, don't, I don't know if I'm there yet. I think it's important that hopefully when you look at this, that you will see as the Bible presents it, you, if, if you are not with Christ, you are under the judgment of God. 
I think that's very important to understand. It's almost like for and for some of you have been here maybe many different weeks and and one guy described it this way. It is almost like understanding that there is a noose around your neck. And every time you hear the truth about God being a just judge of the universe, the noose gets a little bit tighter. The reality is you're already under the judgment of God if you're outside of Christ. But each time that you get closer and closer to understanding this reality, that each time it begins to press in on you. And it should, because hopefully you'll repent before it's too late. And so this, this, this is a very powerful, I think, display for us when we're seeing it. This, though, is, this is the final thing of saying, like, this is the last call, in a way, in the book of Revelation, where he's saying... The complete expression of the wrath of God on his enemies is about to be on display, 15 and 16. And we're going to address that and the rest of it's going to be working out some of the details of it. And so it's one of those things, I think, for you or me to stop and consider. If you're here today, it's like we're not going to deal with this at the same level uh, we're going to look at it next week, but, the, I mean, but after that, it's going to be one of those things where we may not be discussing all these things, but know this, the judgment of God is going to fall in its fullness. Now, you keep going to verse 2 and through 4, and we could say, what is the response uh, to this final exodus? Now, we're going to be taken up into heaven, and we've seen this in Revelation, where there'll be like this kind of statement, and, and this thing of God's judgment coming, and then God will like pause, and there'll be a little interlude, a little break, and you'll get to kind of see into heaven, and you get to see the people of God, and it gives them comfort, and also just kind of reveals some things about them, and then we'll step back in. So uh, you'll kind of see this in verses 2 through 4. And I saw what appeared to be the sea, uh, to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of gold in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the God, God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For, you are right, for your righteous acts have been revealed. It's almost here, the answer really to the question even the people of God have asked throughout the revelation is how long, Lord, until you bring about this judgment, we see that it has come. The final exodus is that the judgment of God will fall and his people will be delivered. So if you're like a little bit confused about where we've been, you just have to see that. In this picture, he is saying that in order for deliverance to come, judgment must fall on God's on his enemies and on the people of God's enemies and deliverance will Follow that. And so the people of God are praising God for this great deliverance. You see this sea of glass, which reminds us of chapter 4, being in the presence of God. But what's interesting here is this glass is mixed with fire, something red. And as I said earlier, it almost has this image of the Red Sea. Anytime you see this kind of fire in, in, in the Revelation, it's tied to, it's a metaphor for judgment. And so you kind of see the sea of glass with the red mixed in. It's almost like you would say a Red Sea is here. And, and who has passed through the Red Sea and come out on the other side? God's people. 
They've come out on the other side and now they're praising him. They've been rescued. This is a wonderful display of God's rescue of his people. They have trusted the Lord. They've hoped in him. They followed the lamb wherever he went. And now they are coming out um, victorious. They've walked purely before the Lord. They're truthful and honest about the Lord. And now they have come out on the other side uh, again, victorious over all of their enemies. Notice what you see. They're holding harps in their hands. You remember that? We just looked at that recently. Uh, when the people of God were carried off into a time of exile, it says they hung up their harps. They hung up their harps because they were so like sorrowful. Because they were broken and they were so sad that they were kind of being cast out of the land of promise, out of the presence of God. But here they're holding their harps. Why? Because they are in his presence. It's a sign of joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. They're overflowing with joy as they consider what he has done. We found out all along that God seals his people and he carries them through to the very end. Not one of them would be lost. And now they're singing this song. Now, you see the song. It's a song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. When you look at that, you say, well, good night. Why? How could you sing both of those songs? Like, it doesn't make sense. It's like a song from way back in Exodus 15 or and then a song of the Lamb. What is this? I think the idea there is it's bringing the idea of deliverance together. It is a song of deliverance. God has rescued his people. They are singing this song of victory. And they're saying salvation has come. You remember the salvation of the children of Israel and the salvation of his people in the New Testament as you're seeing it on display. We see a lot of strong connections Salvation by substitution, salvation by conquest. And we see both of those with Jesus. Jesus was our substitute. Jesus was the Passover lamb. Jesus is the one who died in our place. Jesus took our sins upon himself. And not only that, we see Jesus defeating all of our enemies. Death, hell, Satan, the world system. He is victorious over all. And so he has been victorious. He has saved us. He has rescued us. And it reminds us not only of the Passover lamb before, but we see Jesus as the ultimate Passover lamb here. And so we're seeing this again on display. It's a very beautiful picture. One person said it's deliverance of God's people by means of blood and power, and they're praising him for it. Now, this is where it gets a little bit more like more difficult sometimes for us as we study this. When you get into this, they are praising God for delivering them as he judges their enemies. And some people would struggle with that. And you think they're, they're, they're claiming they're saying, God, you're just and true are your ways. You are executing your judgments perfectly. They are praising God for his judgment of the wicked. He is judging the nations and they're praising him for it as they watch. It's one of those things where he's delivered them and they're looking back as Israel did and the waters came crushing down upon. Uh, you remember that? Like the, 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 the 
uh, Egyptians are chasing them in. And as they chase them into the water, the people of God come out. And, and Moses takes his staff and he drops it down. And the waters come crashing down. And the, all, the, all of the Egyptian army was destroyed. And then they sing a song. And that's kind of the picture here where you're saying God in His justice, we are watching as He has rescued us and He is now defeating all of our enemies before us. Let's sing praises to Him for what He has done. They are praising Him for punishing the wicked. Revelation 16, you can turn there, verses 5-7. through And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. They are praising God for bringing about the judgment of the wicked who has been against God and against his people throughout the ages. And they will be judged and the church will be unified in their praise of the one who is bringing about his judgment. And I'm honest with you, sometimes for us in our fallen condition, that is difficult. But that is the reality. They have prayed for long years that God would bring about the judgment of the wicked. And he is bringing it about and they are praising him and honoring him for it. And one day we will be. And sometimes I've heard people, you almost think they they almost want to sound like they're more compassionate than God. More merciful than God. God has shown his mercy by sending his own son to die on the cross and they rejected him. There is no greater demonstration than someone to lay down their son and, and crucify him and unleash his wrath upon him. There is no greater sign of mercy, but they spit upon him and they ridiculed him and they're screaming, crucify him. They want him to die. They are celebrating it. And now they're going to get the just penalty of their error. And the church will celebrate because they know that God is just and he is right and he is judging his enemies and they will face what they have really deserved from the very foundation of the world as people rejected the Lord over and over. He's shown his mercy over and over, mercy beyond measure that we could never imagine he has shown and put on display. And yet people continue in their rebellion. They are hostile towards God. They are hostile towards Really, you could say towards his church. And now God says enough is enough. Judgment falls. And the church praises and honors the Lord. Now. I think there's just one other thing I'd want to kind of gain out of this passage. When you're looking at this, it says that all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. There's something in the in the in in there's something in the book of Revelation where you're seeing the, all the nations coming together, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation praising and honoring the Lord. I think this should fuel our heart for the world. To see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation come to know the message of the gospel. 
Like we don't long to see people face the judgment of God. And so we are ministers of mercy where we're going out everywhere to everywhere we go and saying to people, repent and believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus and what he's done. And we have that kind of there's certain level of where Paul said, I am not ashamed of that. I am eager. I'm under obligation to share with others that they might know because we want to see people. We want to be gathered among the people of God from all over the world that we participated in seeing them come to faith. And I think we see this here, that the the church made up of all different people, tribes, tongues and nations, praising God for what he has done. Now, verses five through eight. Who is the source of the final exodus? After this, I looked and, and the sanctuary, the tent of witness in heaven was open. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures uh, gave to the seven angels seven golden lampstands full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God from, and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. You'll see here they're kind of clothed. These angels are clothed with dignity. You see their status. Uh, they, they really identify with the resurrected Christ that we saw in Revelation 1. And, and, and you see the four living creatures who are the closest ones uh, to God's throne. And they are there. They're giving them uh, what they need to administrate this judgment. They're really kind of the administrators that are handing these things out. And this judgment, this ultimate judgment is coming to pass now, you might ask yourself, "What is this tent of witness? Uh, what what is going on there?" If you know about again the Exodus imagery and what was going on there, there in in front of the mountain, there there was uh, the people were waiting and the smoke was there and there was thunder and all that stuff. And what did God give them? He gave them two tablets, the tablets of testimony or witness. And now John's seeing them. Uh, One author said the testimony was the Ten Commandments which Moses placed in the Ark of the Tabernacle. The law of the Lord is his testimony which reveals his will. And so now you're getting a glimpse and you're saying we're seeing God's raw justice, his law on display where everyone is held accountable to his perfect and righteous standard. You're seeing what the law brings when the law is transgressed, judgment comes and we see God's wrath fall. That's what's coming forth from here. It's really a symbol of this terrifying picture of seeing not the mercy seed and not all those things. It is showing the law coming forth and injustice being executed perfectly. And so we see this. God uses these uh, angels to accomplish this. And I think it's on, on. It's a very clear picture here. There's no picture of prayers for mercy, no intercession, no anything, but just this undiluted wrath of God coming as his law is enacted and the judgment that is deserved falls. Now, one author said, this is like the classic horror story, but it's not a fiction. God is there eternally with His wrath for those who refuse His tender mercies found in His Son in the present. What a shocking thing to think that you would be, have access to the Son of God. That you would be able to 
to experience His mercy, that you would be able to turn from your wickedness and sin and trust in the One who died on the cross for you, to reject that, and then to endure this. This should drive you to think clearly about these things. Salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. Deliverance from the wrath to come. And it's just very important, I think, to kind of, deliverance from the wrath to come comes by way of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And one author said, if you want this exodus, you had better follow this great Moses, the Lord Jesus. If you want the benefits of that salvation, if you want to be on the right side of the Red Sea, if you want to be standing there with the Lord delivered rather than under the judgment waters falling on you, you'd better choose Christ today. If you choose not to, at the very end, you will either experience his undiluted, or I guess you could say you will experience his undiluted, unending wrath, and it will go on again forever and ever. This is the eternal God on display, and his judgments will be eternal. And so I think this text is one of those that, that you stop and consider. It's a wonderful thing in this sense for the church in that little interlude in verses 2 through 4. He's saying you're rescued, you're there, you're praising God. But for those who are outside of the people of God, this is the most horrifying and scary and frightening text you could ever read. And so today I would say to you, join with the people of God. Repent, believe the gospel. We, we know that the church has promised that they will experience no more weeping or crying or pain. But the, those who are outside of Christ, outside of his people, they will only know weeping and cringing and suffering and gnashing of teeth. They will have no hope. So I would say to you today, just as in the Exodus, where it says that they were to paint the doorpost of their house with the blood of the lamb, you too. Paint the doorpost of your house with the blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that He will keep you when the judgment comes and falls. He, because of what He has done as your substitute, will rescue you. Trust in Him. Hope in Him. Walk with Him. Otherwise, when judgment falls, you will experience unbridled wrath eternally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. It is hard for us sometimes to get this serious about anything. We have a tendency to entertain ourselves. And we love to, to, to not think ab deeply about the most important issues of life. Judgment and salvation. And so I pray today that you would... Open our hearts to see and understand the truth about this, this sermon and this section of scriptures. Salvation belongs to your people who follow Jesus, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And who those who do not, judgment will fall upon them. In Christ's name, Amen.